Good evening and welcome to our evening service. What a privilege we have of gathering again to hear the Word of God and to praise God together. Again, I mentioned we're glad to have Floyd Wilson tonight, and he will come now and uh, lead us in prayer, read the scriptures for us this evening's scripture. Floyd, if you would. Thank you, Rael. Our scripture tonight is from Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 8. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 8, reading through to the end of the chapter. And as you find it there, Philippians 4, verse 8, uh, just be aware that when Paul is writing this, he is under house arrest in Rome. And we'll be getting to how he gets there in uh, the sermon tonight. But this is just background so you can maybe grasp on to why he says, says some of the things he does. So Philippians 4, starting at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are God and that we praise you for being the maker of all things, including us. Thank you, Lord, our creator and sustainer 
of all that we see around us in life on this earth. But even more than that, we are so thankful and praise you that you are the author and creator of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, it's amazing, your miracle of changing the human heart, of reconciling sinners who were alienated to become your sons and daughters adopted into your family. Thank you, Lord, for all the patience that you have with us as your children and the encouragement that you give us each day to live for you even when it gets tough. Please continue to guide us as individuals and as families. Help us to find the purpose that you have for each one of us. Maybe the, the big purpose, but also the little purposes and goals that you have for us to work out the, the greater purposes that you have for us as your ambassadors and lights in this world. Please help our, our leaders here at Berean and, and the, the whole congregation that we will grow in your grace, that we will grow in numbers, that we will grow in the effectiveness of our, our service that you have called us to be rendering as your witnesses in this world. And Lord, when you know the time is right and, and just the one that you want to call to be here for pastoral leadership, we pray that you will work this all out too and for your glory. And we do pray that we, as a, a congregation and people, that we will have an impact for Christ in the communities where you have placed us. Yes, we're here in, uh, in Greater Sudbury, but we are also in neighborhoods and villages and all the rest and, and live on streets and have neighbors. And just, Lord, help our, our lives, our homes to be lighthouses for you where you have placed us. We pray for the leaders of our community, the mayor and the councillors and all the staff that work for the city and that you will help them in their duties and that you will help us as citizens to be supportive of them or cooperative with them in the things that they're endeavoring to do and also to help them in various ways. And we know, Lord, that you are the one who wants to provide for our personal needs, our church needs, and our community needs. And so, Lord, please continue to provide your special resources for the ministries that you have for each one of us as individuals and as a body of believers together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, our brother, we pray the Lord's blessing as you open the word to us tonight. Floyd. So if you could have your Bibles open to Acts 28, that's the perfect place to be for this message. Acts 28. But first, let's pray. Lord, it's our privilege to open the Bible, to read what you have said to us there. And so, Lord, help us to understand the things written 
and some application to each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. When life circumstances are in a turmoil, we may assume that it's impossible to accomplish anything for God until the circumstances get better. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way, but I just, Lord, you just, nothing can be done. Things are so bad. But don't you think that this is a negative way of thinking that discounts the wisdom of God and the power of God? It may not be God's plan to remove all of our problems immediately. He may want to transform our discouraging circumstances into opportunities for us to accomplish things that he would not be able to accomplish if we weren't in those difficult circumstances. This was the Apostle Paul's <clears throat> excuse me, experience. In <clears throat> I'm going to have to go for the water for early. <laughs> <clears throat> this was the Apostle Paul's experience in Acts 28. I hope we can envision uh, that the Lord can work through our present circumstances, even if they are difficult. And I, I hope everybody's not going through hard times right now. But all of us go through hard times sometimes. And so I hope we can envision from this tonight that the Lord can do something even during those hard times and we don't have to wait until everything gets nice and smooth and then we'll do something for God or he'll do something through us. But let's begin with a brief overview of Acts 27, what we did last time. A Roman army officer is escorting the Apostle Paul to Rome as a prisoner because he has appealed his case to the emperor. As you see from the map, the ship was sailing on the Mediterranean Sea, and as we went over Acts 27, we learned that there was a terrible storm arose, so much so that everybody on that ship was in absolute terror for two full weeks. Can you believe a storm that lasted that long? But it did, and the fear and tension was in those people on that ship for all those days. And, but they finally spotted some land. And they, they said, we got, <laughs> we've been out here for two weeks in the middle of, of the Mediterranean Sea, not seen any land, and now we see some land. We've got to get to that land any way we have to. And so they just steered for shore, hoping for the best, hoping they could make the shore, but they caught some rocks on the way. And the ship got hung up, and the waves from the storm were beating at it and just beat it apart. But all the people on the ship got to shore safely. The crew, the prisoners, like Paul and their guards, and the other passengers. God's angel had brought a message to Paul saying, everybody is going to get to shore safely. Don't worry. You'll get there. And they did. So now we're ready for Acts 28, and it's the final leg of Paul's journey to Rome. In this chapter, Paul not only reaches Rome geographically, you probably saw the title, Reaching Rome, Paul reaches Rome geographically, but he also reaches Rome 
evangelistically. So keep those two things in mind. Acts 28, verses 1 and 2. Now when they had escaped, this is when they got ashore safely, now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. This, I hope, yeah, oh, did I go too far? Sorry, back to there. That slide is meant to help us locate the island of Malta. Can you see it at the bottom there? There's a number five arrow pointing to it, and it says Malta is just a little dot, and there's another island there right against Malta, and it's south of Sicily, which is south of Italy. So now we come to the next one. That is a satellite image from today, uh, showing the image or showing showing uh, Malta. And I looked this up. Malta is 26 kilometers long and 14 and a half kilometers wide. Now, just so you know, how big is Malta? Think of Manitoulin Island. How many of you have been to Manitoulin Island? Okay. Manitoulin Island is 11 times as big as Malta, okay? 11 times as big. So you know how, how big this island is that they are on. Now, next, imagine these shipwreck survivors on the shore. Remember, I don't know if you remember Acts 27, but they got to shore some swam, and some were, were on floating pieces of wood. What does that mean about them? They're all soaking wet. And this is at night, I believe. And it says it's cold, and it says it's raining. Have you ever been in a hot day? Have you been out in rain, right? But just you're soaking wet, and it's raining on you. You are in trouble, <laughs> okay? So, they're, they're also hungry and thirsty and disoriented. They're just off the ship and on shore. But fortunately, the nearby residents somehow heard that this ship was there and people were coming ashore and the, the people who lived nearby rushed to their aid and they helped the people feel welcome to Malta, and they, as it says here, they even kindled a fire to help to warm the, the survivors of this shipwreck. Now this response to a disaster reminds me of the welcome that the under 10,000 residents of Gander, Newfoundland, Labrador extended to over 6,600 passengers from 38 planes that came to Gander, Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, back when the 9-11 uh, attacks happened. And the U.S. closed their airspace. No planes could land in the United States, so all the planes that were in the air had to go somewhere, and many of them went to Gander, Newfoundland. 38 
planes. Now that slide depicts the, the routes of the various planes. That some came from off the Atlantic Ocean, some came that were coming across the northern Canada, some were, um, were flying through the U.S. You know, at certain places. And they had to go somewhere. They couldn't land in the U.S. It was, the airspace was closed. There are some of the planes on the ground uh, when 9-11 happened. This is in Gander, Newfoundland. And this next slide, I'm not exactly sure what's happening here, but I think the people at the desk are the Gander, Newfoundland people, and the people that are standing up holding stuff, those are the people from the planes. And I think this is happening at the airport because I looked at that sign that's on the wall. So I believe this was happening at the airport and the people were, were trying to make hospitality arrangements. Like, I, this is what I imagine. You know, the, the, we're taking down your name and where you're going so we can find you later <laughs> kind of thing. Okay? And this next slide shows a, a gym that um, was where some passengers were boarding or bedding down for the night. And uh, not all of them were in public buildings. A lot were in homes. But this is this some slides that help you to see what was happening. I hope, actually, that we as a congregation would rise to the challenge. If, if we had been in Gander, Newfoundland, or if some other crisis happened that was a very serious crisis, and and the population of Sudbury was almost doubled overnight. This, seriously, this was almost double population. Uh, what would we do to help the people? Would we be able to do something? Would we be willing to do something? I think we would open the building, wouldn't we? Uh, especially if it's raining. <laughs> we would give people, you know, we, we aren't exactly set up for a ho being a hotel, but it's better than outside. <laughs> So I think we would do whatever we could. And I learned that these people in Gander, Newfoundland, had had an airplane, um, that, a disaster, a few years earlier. I think a plane blew up or something. It's like some, It was a terrorist kind of thing that happened. And they had a preliminary experience of that disasters can happen, that it can affect us. And they had worked and worked and worked and practiced as a community, not just the public people, but the people of the community had practiced. Every year they practiced what they would do if there was ever a disaster. And when 9-11 happened and all these planes came, they just put their plan into action and did it. And, and that was a wonderful thing. And I'm pretty sure there are people in Sudbury that work for the city of Greater Sudbury that work on disaster preparedness. And uh, I was at a meeting a few years ago where they were talking about if there ever was a pandemic. <laughs> but, but I think there are people that work on things like this. And it wouldn't be a bad idea if there was somebody here that thought, you know, I wouldn't mind just, just finding out how, how could we help if there was a certain kind of a disaster? What could we offer? So, you know, somebody might want to take that up. Okay, let's read on. Verses 3 through 6. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. 
But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. A viper is a venomous snake. Malta had snakes like that, and they saw one of them bite Paul. Now, I looked up and found out that there are apparently no life-threatening snakes that live on Malta 2,000 years later, but back 2,000 years ago, there were some venomous snakes. Now, if Paul had dropped dead, as we read, the Maltese would have considered it absolute proof this man must be a murderer. He deserved to die because he killed somebody else. That's, that's their logic. They would say justice was just paying him back for his crime. But when they observed that the viper bite had no effect on Paul, their thinking flipped to the opposite extreme. He's no longer a murderer. He's a god. Some people today think just like this. They think if something bad happens to Joe, he must be to blame for it. It's payback for his secret sins. Whereas if something good happens to Susan, she either deserves it or is very lucky. Now, these views may or may not reflect reality. The problem is with our human judgment in that we don't have all the relevant facts. Only God knows everything about these circumstances of why things happen or, or is orchestrating them or whatever, you know. Only God has any knowledge of that. In Paul's case, we could say maybe he did deserve to die. He had persecuted Christians. I don't have any proof. It doesn't say in Scripture that Paul actually killed any Christians when before he was a Christian. But he was um, kind of on the side, very much so, of the ones who were persecuting Christians. And even if he didn't actually kill any of them, it does say that he was in charge of dragging them away from their homes and putting them in prison. And, and you know in those days, probably that involved beating them up a bit too. Okay, So Paul was involved in those things. So you could say, Paul would have deserved to uh, have one of these uh, poisonous snakes bite him. But God did not want Paul to be uh, paid back, just like I've described. God had a better idea. He said, I think I'm going to forgive that man. I'm going to forgive him. And I'm going to call him, this is Jesus on the Damascus Road, I'm going to call him to be a Christian himself and be a Christian missionary besides and bring other people to faith in Christ. For sure, Paul was not a god, but he became a representative of the one true God. Verses 7 through 10. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. 
And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now, verse 7 gives me the impression that Publius was a wealthy landowner rather than a public official. His estate probably had a, a big house and possibly other buildings around it that would have enabled him to temporarily host some of these shipwreck survivors. I don't know whether Publius had all 276 of them in his house uh, for three days, as mentioned in verse 7, uh, but as in Gander, I, I think probably other citizens or residents of Malta would have welcomed people into their houses. But what we do know from verse 7 is that it says us, who received us. So us means at least Paul, Luke who is writing it, and Aristarchus, the other Christian. So there were three Christians on there, on that ship who got to shore safely, and us <laughs> were in Publius's house. So that means the three Christians were there, and I don't know how many others. This important man had a kind heart. I don't know if he was a Christian, maybe not, but he at least had a kind, welcoming, hospitable heart. Another thing to notice about Publius is that despite his wealth, his prominence in the community, his position there, he had family needs. Now, I don't know if you've thought of this, but these people who are millionaires or prime ministers or whatever, they have family needs. And Publius had a family need. His father was seriously ill. He had a fever, and it says he had dysentery. I had to look this up. Dysentery. That is severe diarrhea. Okay, so I don't need to say anything more. <laughs> so Paul went to this man and laid hands on him and prayed for his healing. And what do you know? He got better. And I think he got better very quickly because the fact of him getting better became news for the whole island. And next thing you know, everybody's bringing anybody who is sick to Paul to pray for them. Now, the text does not say this. I'm, I'm just reading this. I'm just speculating. I think that when the people brought their sick and Publius himself would have wondered, how is this possible? Who? How, how do you? How are you able to pray and this person gets better? And, and, and uh, do you think it's beyond the realms of imagination or possibility that Paul would have told him about Jesus, okay? That he told them about the true God and how you can pray to this God and he, he cares and he helps, okay? Um, I think they would have preached the gospel. I, would, I think they would have said that we have sinned against this God and we need to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus as our Savior and sin-bearer. Well, I get the impression, too, that on this island, the centurion must have relaxed security for prisoner Paul. 
I don't think he was going around in chains and all that. I think uh, he he was uh, pretty well able to do whatever he needed to do in, in ministry. And maybe the two other Christians as well, maybe even the other prisoners, being as they were all um, shipwreck survivors. And whatever ministry Paul had, this healing ministry that he had, and the preaching ministry, whatever it turned out to be, the populace of the island was very grateful. Remember, they started off making fires and welcoming them into their homes and ended up being the recipients of, of a health care system through the God of the persons who were on this ship. Now, that's a miraculous thing. So that the, the takers or the receivers became the givers, and the people of Malta were very happy and gave them whatever they needed to continue on their journey when, when the time came. So, our responsibility in uh, uh, people having times of need is that, we, yes, we care for them, we try to help in practical ways, we pray for them, we try to uh, have a witness to them as, as God prompts us and enables us. But I hope that even though we often see, yes, I could do this, I could give them some food or I could... Um, give them a ride or I could whatever, that we would also think, what can I do? What would God want me to say? What would he want me to share with them of my faith that could help them with their soul, not just their body? So anyway, this little incident helps me think of all that. Okay. Verses 11 through 16. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. I should say, the reason it's three months is, remember, they had the shipwreck because they were at the end of the sailing season, and they went out onto the sea and got in this storm and all that, right? So they finally make it to Malta, but it's not the uh, shipping season anymore. It's winter. It's the stormy season. And so they are just stuck there for that length of time. But then this, there's this other ship that they had, an, who was, which was also wintering there, that they could move on in their journey. Okay, so then verse 12. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puccioli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Isn't it wonderful that the three believers among the 276 people from that ship, uh, I don't know whether all of them were going to Rome. The prisoners were. <laughs> they were escorted. Uh, but anyway, I think it's really great that, that as they're moving along, going to touching shore at these various communities, that it became known there's Christians on this ship. There are three Christians, 
and the Christians are coming out and the news is spreading up the shore faster than the boat kind of thing. And, and the Christians, there's a network of Christians. They communicate with each other. And they're saying, Christians are coming. Paul is coming. And there's Christians with him. And they make an effort to leave their homes and go to the wherever Paul is and welcome him and encourage him and help provide for him along the way, even though he is still a prisoner. You know, when we do practical things for other people, it gives joy and and we receive encouragement just as they receive encouragement in the name of our Lord. For Paul, it seems like when he finally made it to Rome, even the Roman officers who were taking care of him treated him with respect. They didn't put him in the dungeon. They put him in a house, which I think he had to pay, pay something for it. I don't know how he did it, but anyway. He was in a house. He was under house arrest where he has to stay in the house, but, and there's a guards in turn with him one at a time. Uh, you know, they probably go on and off duty. But he's there in this house. And we're going to see that there were certain advantages that came to Paul because of having this kind of circumstance. So verses 17 through 22. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported any or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Now, this, this sect is Christians, by the way. <laughs> so Paul took the initiative to explain his, his um, circumstances to the Jewish community there at Rome. It was wise to speak the truth to them before the lies and gossip about him reached Rome from uh, Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders admitted that they didn't have anything bad that they had heard about Paul personally. They had only heard all these horrible things about Christians. <laughs> and Paul is saying he's one of them, but they hadn't heard anything bad about Paul himself. And you know, I see a similarity between Paul's situation here and what Jesus faced years earlier. In both instances, the Roman authorities said, I find no fault in him. He's not, he's not guilty of anything. He doesn't even need to be here for anything that he has personally done wrong. With Jesus, Pilate gave in to the commands and demands for Jesus to be crucified, even though he knew he was innocent. The same with Paul. He is innocent. 
the Romans all along the way, from if we go back many chapters in Acts, each time he appears before the Romans, they say, I, I don't know anything that he did wrong. These people say he's done wrong, but we don't have any, he didn't do anything wrong against us or our laws. And to this point, Paul has managed to avoid a spineless Roman judgment against him. Jesus didn't avoid Pilate's spineless judgment against him. You know, let him be crucified. But Paul, so far, has managed to put that off. Actually, I respect here, in these verses that I read, the open-mindedness of these Jewish leaders uh, at Rome. They're at least willing to listen to what Paul had to say. They actually wanted to hear what he had to say. They might not agree with him, but they were at least willing to listen. In our day, people may respect us personally, this is we as Christians, but they hear a lot of negative things about Christians, right? It's everywhere in our culture of things that we believe, especially about moral issues or if you were here this morning and heard Gary's sermon, you, you, knew, you know what I'm talking about. The tragedy is that while some claim that they're defending people's rights to do this or that, they are actually enabling horrible abuses. Now, I don't advocate attacking the people that disagree with us or we disagree with them. I don't, want, I don't think we should attack them. But we should continue to speak what is true about whatever the issue may be. Eventually, some people may listen. They may think about what was said and reconsider what they've been conditioned to think. Verses 23 through 29. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. I didn't read that very well. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So Paul clearly explained to these Jews that the scriptures that they read and professed to believe spoke about the coming of Jesus Christ. I can't be sure of which passages Paul referred to, but from the law of Moses, 
I can imagine he would have mentioned Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now these words that God spoke to the serpent are speaking of what God is going to do to that serpent through the seed of the woman. And we know ultimately that was Jesus. And I think Paul would have explained that scripture. And also, possibly, he turned to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And in the New Testament, it says, this is talking about Jesus. He's, he's the prophet who will be greater than Moses, who will come. And he's going to speak those words, and you sure better listen. Okay? And then, oh, another passage that, that Paul probably would have talked about. I, I can't see him avoiding this one. He must have said, uh, Isaiah 53. He must have read the whole chapter to them. <laughs> but I'll just read verse 12, the last verse. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, surely Paul would have said, that's talking about Jesus Christ and what he did when he came to this earth. So, the result of Paul's morning to evening marathon of teaching, can you believe it? This was like all day Sunday school. <laughs> he taught those guys all day, or maybe ladies too, he taught them all day long, and there was a result. Some were persuaded, some disbelieved. How about that? Some believed, some didn't. Yes, there were people who closed their eyes, who closed their ears, who closed their minds, and closed their hearts to the truth about Jesus. But Paul could rejoice that some of those people believed. Praise the Lord. And the fact that after they left, did you see what, hear what? It, they had a great dispute among themselves. They didn't just walk out the door and forget about the whole teaching and that was that. No, they were really into it. What's, what is this? And they were wrestling with it. They were uh, talking with each other about it. So since that is happening, and do you believe that God's Spirit works in, things, in people's hearts in times like this? I can very much imagine that some of those people responded to the gospel after they left. And, and became Christians. I don't know for sure, but I can believe that some did. Okay, so I think we're at 
Right. No. Did I miss something? Did I do too many? Okay. <laughs> okay, now I see where I've lost all my paper. <laughs> I, I think the application for us here, uh, from, from Paul talking with these Jews all day long, is that sometimes we talk to people all day long. Gary talked about talking to his brother all day long, practically. Okay. Um, and sometimes people ignore us. Sometimes they react against what we say. And we try to show, we try to tell them the good news about Jesus. And we just have to believe that the Holy Spirit is at work and he will bring some to repentance and faith. And there were some that we know that came to faith from Paul's teaching all day. But um, there were some that didn't and may have later. Okay, now we're ready for the last two verses of Acts 28. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now this is very interesting that Luke, as he writes up this, he, he says that Paul was in that house for two whole years. That means 365 days times two, right? I didn't calculate that, but anyway, it was two whole years in this rented house. And I believe the significance is, there are actually about four things I have here as significant. The first thing is that when you're in this rented house by yourself with this soldier and all that, he has lots of time to correspond with churches. You can write lots of letters when you're there for two whole years, right? And that's when he wrote the letter to the Philippians that I read from earlier. And the second thing is, the two years in that rented house gave Paul an opportunity to have in-depth ministry to whoever came to that house to learn about the Christian faith. Not just morning till evening, day after day. As often as they came, he was available. He was ready to talk with them, and I'm sure he did. And as he talks with them, since he's in Roman custody, he can say whatever he wants. He doesn't have to worry, no, if they don't like what I teach, maybe they'll arrest me. <laughs> he's in prison, okay? He's under guard. And the, the third advantage of being there two whole years there's a lot of guards that would have rotated through taking care of Paul. And they heard a lot of teaching. They heard a lot of sermons. <laughs> so in other words, it wasn't just the people who wanted to come. It was the people who had to be there for their work who got to hear the good news of Christ. And don't you suppose that one or more of those guards may have come to faith in Christ? And I believe in uh, the letter to the Philippians, it said at the very end, something about the people of Caesar's household greet you. That means the people that work for Caesar. This is in Rome. The people that work for Caesar, some of them are greeting you. That means some of them became Christians. The fact that Paul could be an evangelistic witness in the city of Rome while inside a house should encourage believers today who are shut-ins, people who are 
just in one place who can't get out and be with other people like they would like to um, can still have a ministry because people can come to you where you are and or you can communicate with them even though they're away. Now, this is where technology comes in today. You can have technological connections with people all around the world just from your room. It's amazing. So let's take advantage of whatever our opportunities are. And those of us who aren't stuck in one place, in one room, in one house, as Paul was, we have many other opportunities. We should take advantage of them for the glory of God. And the, the fourth um, implication of this two whole years is, I believe, a legal implication. Two years may have been the limit of how long they could keep Paul in custody at Rome without the people coming from Jerusalem to press charges against him. And when the, I don't know what you call it, the statute of limitations or whatever it is, when the time got up, Two whole years, there's, I believe that meant, okay, the Romans said they didn't come to say why you should be here, and we never thought you should be here all along, so now you're free. And, and I believe Paul went out and had more missionary service, and other books in the New Testament give uh, hints toward that of the ministry that he had. And even though he was rearrested later, he did get the opportunity to do this missionary work. So now we've come to the end of uh, the Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the only way it continues is through the acts of people who are following Jesus today. And that's you and me. And I did a little joke with Iris uh, before the service about Acts 29. But in a way, we are living Acts 29 Today is an exciting adventure to be part of what God is doing in 2023. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the circumstances that you have each one of us in. And they, they vary. Sometimes they're pleasant. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes we're restricted. Sometimes we're not. But, Lord, you want to work through us in all these circumstances of life. And help us not to say, oh God, you can't do anything through me now because I'm in this mess. Lord, help us to see that you can work through us and in us and to bless others with the good news, no matter what our circumstances are. And so, Lord, help us to just make ourselves available to cooperate with you and see what you do through just ordinary people like us. In Jesus' name. Amen.